The following podcast contains explicit language. From New York City, this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm John McWhorter, and I want to kick off the year doing something I don't usually do. I'm going to rip something from the headlines. Rip it from the headlines. I know that some of you may be disappointed that I don't do that more often. I'm, I'm tossing around comments about Old English and Strunk and White and Bugs Bunny, but not what Donald Trump said last week. It's on purpose that I don't do that. I figure there's enough of that being done well elsewhere in the market. But sometimes, you know, you've got to get real. And especially when linguistics can help us understand something that otherwise can seem frustrated or less politely, just plain stupid. And I'm going to circle in on it. You probably already know from what the title of this episode will probably be what we're going to do. But let's start from the outside, because that approach is almost always one that can help us understand something, put it in context. Let's talk about Jeopardy, the game show. I auditioned once and I was rejected. I've never gotten over it, but it is a fine show. And recently, talk about the headlines, there was a sharp young man who gave the answer Gangster's Paradise when the topic was a song by Mr. Coolio. And he was counted as wrong because the answer is technically gangsta's paradise. So the idea was that there's a difference between gangster as a word and gangsta as a word. So let's listen to the episode in question. A song by Coolio from Dangerous Minds goes back in time to become a 1667 John Milton classic. Nick, what is gangster's paradise lost? Yes. Our judges have reevaluated one of your responses a few moments ago, Nick. You said gangsters instead of gangstas on that song by Coolio. So we take 3,200 away from you. So you are now in second place. So this, this person, this, you know, bow tie-ish, proper sort of guy says gangster because he's thinking of that as the proper way to say gangsta. And he ends up losing out. And, you know, one of the justifications is that in the Oxford English Dictionary, it says that gangster is a member of a criminal gang, whereas gangsta is a member of an urban territorial gang. And, you know, you think, well, really, are those (laughs) are those really different words? But let's face it, in our minds, gangster and gangsta do set different neurons off. And so, for example, what is a gangster? Well, one thinks of, at least I think of, those wonderful old Warner Brothers movies of the 30s, those early talkies. Think of, of Jimmy Cagney. Now, that's a gangster. It's often said that he never said, you dirty rat. And it's one of those things where actually there's a kind of a double nested myth. It's not that he never said it. He never said exactly that. You want to hear what he said? It's from one of those wonderful early talkies that's about seven minutes long. And it's a delight on a Saturday afternoon if you don't have children to watch these early talkies because you have time. This one is called Taxi with an exclamation point. And here is the closest that Cagney ever came to saying you dirty rat. And more to the point, this is what one might think of as a gangster, if not Scorsese movies or The Sopranos. Here it goes. Come out and take it, you dirty yellow-bellied rat, or I'll give it to you through the door. <laughs> Gangster. Now, what about a gangsta? Well, here's the Coolio song in question. Gangster. 
going to drop a name. I once sat next to Coolio. We talked a little bit. <laughs> it wasn't deep. That is the Coolio song. So gangster, gangster. Now, different words, gangster, gangsta. We know that gangsta came after gangster. Well, okay, it may seem a little arbitrary, kind of splitting hairs, maybe even racially sketchy. Isn't gangsta just gangster pronounced by perhaps, say, a black person? And why do we have this racialized definition of gangsta? Fine line here. Nevertheless, I don't think that everybody would say that the people at Jeopardy were utterly crazy because there is a whole set of attitudes, of historical factors, of now musicological and music history factors connected with the whole concept of the gangsta. There is something specific about what you mean when you say that or hear that as opposed to gangster, but still fine lines because language is all about change and change in the world of language is not like in quantum physics. It's a matter of a b, and there's always in between just a that's supposed to be in between a and, and b or you're going from red to blue and in between is purple and you can't say that purple is either red or blue. It's in between. That's how language change Works. And, you know, it probably comes across more easily in some other pairs of kind of different words like that. So, for example, let's try fellow. We think we know what fellow means. I think I know. But there's fellow and there's fella. Now, we might think fella is just when you say fellow with celery in your mouth or you're just saying fellow casually. I don't know if it's that simple. Because, okay, fellow. First thing I think of in terms of if I would say fellow, not what we write, but what we say, and the heart of language is what we say. Fellow, I think of being a member of some organization. You are a fellow of the whatever, a fellow. Now, to the extent that we think that fellow refers to a male person in that dictionary sense, I think that almost always most of us would say Fella, in that sense. So that fellow is certainly the word that you tend to use in writing. But if a Martian came down and were documenting what casual English was, the Martian might really think, there are two words that are rather similar, fellow, fella. And fellow would be that person in a sport coat sitting in some stuffy room deciding about budgets or who's going to be awarded something. Fella is something different. And fella is the male. Here is an example of a use of fella, where fellow would be odd. I don't know how many of you watch Keeping Up Appearances, but I've been obsessed with it for a very long time. And here is a scene where you've got Onslow and Daisy and Rose, who all live in the same house. And Daisy and Rose's father, who's this largely mute figure, this older man, lives with them upstairs. And he lives basically in his room. But it turns out that He's missing. And so Rose, the younger of the daughters, comes down and talks to Onslow and Daisy about the fact that apparently Daddy is missing. There's somebody else in Father's bed. (laughs) I hope it isn't that Mrs. A. Caster. She leaves toffee papers. (laughs) It's a fella. So the big surprise 
is that the person in the bed, it's a fella, as she says. That actress was wonderful. Fella. Now, notice she wouldn't have said it's a fellow. That's not English at all. It's a fella is what she would say. You want something American? Okay. Let's go even higher quality than keeping up appearances. Let's do Married with Children. There were about 7,000 episodes. And yes, I have sat through every one of them. Boy, did that show tank during the last two or three years. But for about five or six years, it was truly good candy, almost as good as Starburst. And this is a scene where they do the running joke where people are always thinking that poor Marcy is uh, not female. Because, you know, she has a certain gammon physique, but really it was just because of the cartoon world of Married with Children, where people are always thinking of her as a fellow, although nobody ever says it. Here's a typical scene where she's with her husband, Jefferson Darcy, played by Ted McGinley, and there's one of these fella references. Here it goes. So, how many more are there up there like this? Well, there's enough to keep you and your little fella here. <laughs> Now, notice that that couldn't have been little fellow. It isn't in the script. I checked. It's fella. And that's because, really, even though we think of fella as just a way of saying fellow, in terms of how the language has actually evolved, fellow is most likely somebody sitting on some board or being among your fellows in that formal sense. The word that means a guy is fella. It's really a new word. You could analyze it as a different lexical entry, as a linguist might put it. And so gangster, gangsta, fellow, fella. I think that's a slightly cleaner difference in terms of how the language is actually used. Now, I think you all know where I'm about to go, and I always say that I like to keep things happy here in the Valley, but this issue is too important. It comes up. All the time. And, you know, I've written about it often, but, you know, we live in an era. One always does. We, you can tell that I'm just forgetting what I was about to say. We live in an era. Mike, don't cut that. They should hear me. Oh, not Terrell. We live in an era and print is yielding to picture and sound ever more. You've got to have video of it or you've got to sound it. Or in a way, you haven't put it out there. And so never mind that I've written about this. I'm going to talk about it. And yeah, I I mean the N-word. I'm going to shamelessly take advantage of the fact that I'm black to utter the words in question because I think it's important. We need to think about the actual impact. Now, here goes. Hold your kids' ears if you feel it to be necessary. In fact, here's a quick music cue in case you need to reach into the back seat or something. So... Grab those ears. Saw a flea, kick a tree, whoopa 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 whoopa. Saw a flea, kick a tree, whoopa whoopa John. Saw a flea, kick a tree, in the middle of the sea. Well, John, ho John, whoopa whoopa John. Isn't that a great little song? I have loved that song since I was a small child, not because it has my name. It's just deathlessly catchy. But now that the ears are held, here it goes, nigger versus nigger. Those two. Now, we all know the hideousness, if I'm going to do it one more time, of nigger. But then there's the other word. We have that first word echoing in our brains. Now, let's listen to what many people claim is the same word. 
Here is the ever diplomatic genius artist, Mr. West. And this is one of his now old chestnuts. And we have the N-word used in here. I barely need to play this, but I'm going to because the song is so good. Here we go. Uh. Now I ain't saying she a gold digger, but she ain't messing with no broke niggas. Now I ain't saying she a gold digger, but she ain't messing with no broke niggas. Or, even better, Soul Plane is a movie that, frankly, everybody should see. After you're finished with La Dolce Vita and the Kane Mutiny, you should see Soul Plane. There is so much in it. Every five seconds is replete with cultural significance, and I'm almost not kidding. Here is a scene with Monique. We're often told that she's using the word, hold the kid's ears again, nigger. But is she? Did you hear me, boy? I bet you ain't never seen a chocolate super deluxe woman like me before. Have you? No, 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 no. I got, I got a plane. I got a plane to catch in. I gotta, I gotta go. I gotta go. Where do you think you're going, player? Come on, get on the... Hi. We fads now, which means I can violate every last one of your civil rights. Now drop them drawers, Denzel. Denzel, look, lady, I just want to die. Drop them drawers. Show me that ass, nigga. Do you see what I mean? The original word means subhuman, but time has passed. Language changes. There's no reason that the N word would not change. And it's evolved another rendition. It has sprouted what is in effect another word that doesn't mean subhuman. It means buddy. When you hear black American men using that word among one another, they're not using it the way Bull Connor was using it. They use it to mean buddy. You could almost say they're using it to mean dear. It's a very different word. Now, of course, we're dealing with awkward transition. So, for example, we're dealing with an R-less pronunciation, a uh, versus er. And that means that white Southerners, too, have been given to pronouncing it not with the er, but the uh. And then there's also the nigra variation as well. So, yeah, you can say uh instead of er with this word and not be meaning buddy at all. However, if you're black and saying it, then almost certainly you mean buddy. Change in a word is both sound and meaning. So if just the sound changes, you might have this Southern sheriff caricature saying it. But then there's meaning too. Language changes sound and meaning. This is always true. Here is a, a dandy analogy here. Think of this word, aftermath. You don't think of it much. You don't use it much. But now that you're thinking about it, math what? What's that? Polymath? It's certainly not that math. It's certainly not the math as in this plus that. Aftermath, what, what is that? The math starts out as moth, as in that which was mowed. Old English for mo was mawan. Now, if something's warm, then it can be the source of warmth. If something's long, it can be the source of length. Well, if something is mowed, then something that's been mowed is the math. And so it's the 
after moth, except the sound changed and it's after math. And so the aftermath is that which has been mowed. Isn't that neat? But that means that you've got sound change. So you go from the ah to the ah, and you've got meaning change because when we say aftermath, the last thing we're thinking about is grass. We're usually thinking about some hideous revelation or somebody going bankrupt or something like that. That's how sound change works. What it means is this. Many people listen to the use of that word in music or they hear black men using it so rampantly among themselves, and they ask a question. Why can't we use the N-word when they use it all the time? Just at this point, if we understand that one way of using it means you are subhuman, and the other way of using it means you are one of my dearest friends, then asking Why can't we use it if they use it? It's kind of like saying, if we can't use the slur, how come they can use the term of affection? Now, that's not an entirely senseless question, but still, it's very different from they're using it. Why can't we? Because, no, we're we're talking about two different things. So our question is, if we can't use the slur, how come they can use the term of affection? And you notice that that slants things somewhat. If they're using the term of affection, then I think probably 51% of us already are thinking, well, they should be able to do that. There's a sense that we're going to have. I'm going to use the real word again. Please bear with me. We're thinking, well, there's this word nigger. And then there's some people who are saying nigger, and that's kind of different because there's a such thing as black English, etc., southern English, arless, whatever. But boy, they sure seem the same. And it might be hard to think, well, one of the words is a different word. Well, okay, yes, it is kind of counterintuitive. But there's some things that we need to think about that might help us wrap our heads around the discomforting reality, but reality nonetheless that the N-word is presenting us with these days. So, for example, this use of the N-word as a term of affection is not new. Many people quite understandably think that it just came in with rap music or with some sort of pollution of society that apparently hit in about you know, 1987. But no, no, that usage of the N-word as a term of affection goes way, way, way back. And so, for example, there's a novel, Home to Harlem, written in the High Harlem Renaissance by Claude McKay. He was an immigrant from the Caribbean with a deep love of black culture. And in Home to Harlem, he was writing what he intended as not only a literary, but practically anthropological portrait of poor black Americans, migrants from the South. And it's an invaluable look into the way those people would have spoken casually. Here are two lines from it. One thing I know is niggers and made for life. Another line. Some music the niggers are making. The book is just full of that. And it's not the most comic of books in many ways. He's not making fun. What he's trying to do is show how people talk. And what you see is that that use of it affectionately, or sometimes not affectionately, just like today, was going on way back in the 20s. And if it was going on then, you can be quite sure that it was at least a generation old. And there's documentation of it before that, too. Or listen to an educated, highly formal black writer of the Gaslight era. This is Sylvester Russell in 1904. And he's writing about terms equivalent to the N-word 
and how people felt about them in what we now call the black community. So this is eons ago. We have to illustrate it with a clip, don't we? And so here is music created by a black person of similar cultural orientation to Sylvester Russell. This would be Scott Joplin in 1904, one of my favorite rags. This is an instrumental. This is how most people heard ragtime, not somebody with sweaty hands playing it on the piano. This is the Cascades, one of my favorites. Listen to this and pretend you're in 1904 with no penicillin and calling it ice cream. Here we go. So, within that context, Sylvester Russell once wrote, The Negro has no objections to the word coon, of all things. Coon was being used then in the same way. There's an echo of it today in the now antique expression, my ace boon coon, but it was considered okay by this man who was very much a race man, very sensitive to the hideousness that any black person had to deal with every day in his time. This is, you know, right after Plessy versus Ferguson, lynching is legal. The Negro has no objections to the word coon. Now, just as today, there was a conversation among black people as to exactly how you felt about exactly what words. Bob Cole was a theater and pop composer with very formal aspirations. And there was an interview with him the year after in 1905, where he was asked about Kuhn. Get what he said. The word Kuhn is very insinuating and must soon be eliminated. But Bob Cole said he had no problem with the word darky. That was okay. All of which is to say that these insults, these slurs against black people have always been refashioned into terms of affection used within the community. So opinions may still differ, but we must understand that the use of the N-word as a term of affection is not a novelty. It didn't start in the nasty 80s. This goes way, way back. We always want to know whether or not something is an example of a more general Phenomenon. And so we've seen gangster and gangsta, and that seems like it doesn't count because it's also racially sensitive. But then there's fellow and fella, and then there are other cases. And so, for example, a foreigner asks you, very foreign, like somebody who's new to English, asks you, what's a veggie? Veggies. Veggies has become more popular to say over about the past 20 or 25 years. So a foreigner asks, what is a veggie? Would you say to that person, well, a veggie is a tuberous, green, whatever the definition of vegetable is. No, for one thing, if you think about it, you wouldn't say veggie, usually. It's plural. It's veggies. And is veggies the same word as vegetables? I don't quite think so. You say veggies in reference often to children or to nutrition. You imagine somebody saying veggies while they're doing jumping jacks and talking about what you're supposed to eat afterwards. Or it's a way of making vegetables sound more attractive because most people don't like them as much as meat. And so if you say veggies, then it makes you think that it's going to be as good as peach jello, black olives or Slim Jims. And you know, it's, it's supposed to make them happy. You imagine them walking around on little little feet. It's almost a different word from vegetables. This sort of thing happens all the time. The casual word, the colloquial word, the cutesy word can actually become almost a new word. 
Think about gal versus girl. So let's say somebody gave birth. They have a way of doing it. Would somebody say, ah, I had a gal? No, no. So it's not just girl pronounced in a different way. You have to use it in certain contexts. You don't have a gal. Or if somebody says, well, when I was a gal, notice that you imagine that that story is going to be about somebody probably past puberty. I don't know if you would say that you were a five-year-old gal. Gal suggests a certain maturity. And so the colloquial term actually has a specific meaning. It's not just that you're feeling kind of slangy and you you, know, you undo your bow tie and so you say gal instead of girl. It has a different meaning. Did you know that Harry is colloquial for Henry? I kind of did, but I didn't really because I think really Harry, at least in America, and Henry are now different names. Harry, I think, is currently a little more fashionable than Henry. I've been meeting little boys named Harry who don't know that that's strange. I also knew a little boy named Henry. He was a remarkable little two-year-old. He would just sit and do whatever he was doing all by himself for ominously long periods of time. I worried about Henry, although I did envy being a parent of Henry on a weekend afternoon. But in any case, Harry is supposedly kind of slang for Henry, but really it's just a name of its own. And so if you listen to, you know, in a previous episode, I said I would not play any songs from the mediocre musical Call Me Madam that I love very much. Well, you know what? Psych, as the kids used to say in my neighborhood, I'm going to play something from it. This is They Like Ike, which makes references to Harry Truman. And it's not short for Henry because his name was not Henry Truman. His name was Harry Truman. Here it goes. But Harry's on the ground. And should Republicans win When they come around He won't let them in If it's Ike Your chief can get on his bike And his things A moving van will carry They can't do that to Harry Yes, but they like Ike You know, I was in a production of Call Me Madam once I played an ocarina in it I did play it don't ask why. It cost $60 in 1998 pre-Amazon money, and it's murder to play. I played it. I just wanted that said. One of these days, I'm going to come up with an excuse to play the ocarina on this show. But in any case, pretentious is coming. But this is not pretentious. It's what's on my mind because of these Mandarin lessons where I think I'm making a breakthrough into sounding like not a complete idiot. If you are a Chinese person, that's fire. Now, what does that mean? Learning Mandarin is all about learning this. It's all over the place. If you had to learn colloquial English, you'd have to learn, because I'm sure it's not in the books, how you really use the word ass and how you really use the word fucking. As if you're not going to hold your kids' ears for that. I'm sorry if that kind of slipped out. But you'd have to learn those. In Chinese, everything's these errs that are stuck on the ends of things. It's frankly a language I've come to love very much, but that er is truly ugly. But it's fascinating in terms of its meaning. So have you got a light? Whor, which is the word for fire. But really, whor is not just whor with that thing stuck on the end of it. It's a whole different word. So what what is he talking about? Okay, this is what I'm getting at. The colloquial pronunciation of a word can often evolve such that it has a different enough meaning that you're really dealing with two words. But it's a matter of transition. You end up dealing with gray zones. And that means that opinions will differ. That will mean that you've got some prickly situations, but they're not as simple as they might often seem. So for one thing, 
If you hear black men using the N-word among themselves, it really won't work to think of them as using the word N-I-G-G-E-R. That's not what's going on. And so it's not quite the thing to ask, how come we can't use it if they're using it? Because they're using a different word. To ask that is kind of like asking, if we can't run red lights, how come they can relax in the park? Really, we're talking about completely different things. Now, I moved to New York in 2002, and I will never forget the first time I heard a white kid using the N-word with another white kid. I was in a KFC. I mean, I was in a post office and I heard him and I I had seen him and then walked on ahead. And then I heard him and I thought, wait a minute, that kid was white. And I turned around and I thought, hmm, he listens to a lot of hip hop and he's using it to mean buddy. And he didn't say nigger. He said nigger. And I thought to myself, this kid is clearly quite ordinary. This is not something strange. This must now be a thing. And I noticed, wow, yeah, it's not only Latino kids where you might think, well, they're kind of black ones removed, if you know what I mean, in terms of socioeconomics in New York City. It's a white kid. And since then, I have regularly seen Chinese American, Vietnamese American, Filipino and white using that word when they think that nobody black can hear or sometimes when they know that somebody black can hear. Now, yes, that is quite delicate. It shocked me at first. But then I thought, "Uh the thing is, they've been listening to so much of what is now America's favorite pop music that they are hearing it the way only black people used to hear it. And so they're listening to black people referring to one another as dear. And they're thinking that when they use the word, they're referring to one another as buddy, too. Delicate, delicate stuff. Should they do that? Or should part of being a civilized member of American society be to not use the word even in that buddy meaning because it sounds so much like the word that gave birth to it because only so much time has gone by. That is a perfectly valid opinion. But to hear those boys, and it's mostly boys in my experience, to hear those boys using nigga in that way among themselves and to think of them as using the word nigger the way a Southern sheriff was back in 1946, to hear them just using the word nigger. I think it's oversimplified. I think that when we come to a general societal decision about this, if we can, we have to understand that words meanings change, and that includes the words that make us the most uncomfortable. It's a matter of being in between. And because this is not a happy subject, I cannot help but play something from Lerner and Lowe's least famous musical, Paint Your Wagon. It's a song called In Between. Not even a good song, but it's a nice way to go out. Oh, I'm younger than a crank who's pushing 80. And I'm older than a punk of 17. I'm more than a lot more and less than some. In between. You can reach us at Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. That's Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. To listen to past shows and subscribe or just to reach out, go to Slate.com slash Lexicon Valley. This show was edited by Mike Wolo and it was performed by yours truly. I can soak up more rye whiskey than can half the men you'll find. But there's still 
Another half food can drink me dumb and blind. As a lover, I'd be way ahead of many. But there's many who are way ahead of me. And so it will go with the man you get. An ordinary in between, he'll be so wise. Not Love sports, but hate the incessant blather of sports talk radio and the pointless, never ending arguments of sports TV debate shows. Then you should check out Hang Up and Listen a weekly conversation about our favorite games, the athletes who play them, and what sports can teach us about society. Host Josh Levine and Stefan Fatsis recently interviewed Mahmoud Abdul-Ralph, the NBA player who protested the national anthem decades before Colin Kaepernick, and they talked to Ice Cube about his love of the Los Angeles Lakers. Download and subscribe with your podcast app of choice to get a new episode every Monday.